we are continuing our study through Romans. We are uh, diving into Romans chapter 4. Um, and Romans chapter 4 is, hits some very good points for us as Paul continues his argument. Um, but one of the things that, I, that we've been seeing a common theme of is salvation, right? And Paul's constant, um, not only uh, apologetics of defending the faith, but also on top of that of uh, essentially putting out the real doctrine, the true theology, the, 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 the true study of the gospel to all of those in Rome. And what a um, necessary thing, not only for them, but also for us as believers, or a great and amazing teaching for us to study and look into even for those that are not believers. Um, but one of the things that uh, I want us to really process this morning is uh, a simple question, and sometimes it's a question, not only a question, but a statement that is very difficult for some Christians, um, and, and especially non-believers, to, uh, to really embrace. It's not really a comprehension thing. It's not a grasping uh, element but it's just uh, something that is difficult for us to embrace, uh, to um, really accept. And that is, come as you are. Come as you are. And that could be in the form of a statement or a question. In the, in the form of a question, it could be, do you come to God as you are? Do you come to God as you are? A lot of times, uh, non-believers have this understanding that in order for me to come to God, in order for me to come to church, I need to get cleaned up. I need to get cleaned up. I need to stop sinning. I need to stop doing this and stop doing that. And for some reason, they feel the need, uh, the necessity to um, stop doing bad things, right? And... Uh, the thing is, this is a false understanding, a false teaching, and even to some regards, as to what the gospel truly preaches, right? So do you come as you are? And in the form of a statement for Christians, to come as you are, a lot of times we have the understanding for some odd reason that we cannot come as we are. And why is that? Because as believers, we feel that we have or we should be living by a higher standard, right? Which is, is true. But for some reason, we have manipulated this in our own minds to come to the understanding that I have to appear to live at this higher standard in order for me to be part of the Christian fellowship, the Christian church, or to go to church. And I tell people over and over again when they feel, well, I, I shouldn't go to church, or I shouldn't because of this and because of that. And I said, you know what? That's actually uh, the wrong thinking, the opposite thinking. You should go to church because of this. You should read your Bible because of that. You should fellowship with other believers 
when you feel this way. And so the, t the, the statement, the phrase, the question, come as you are, can mean many different things to each and every one of us, depending on the state in which we are in, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But one of the things that we will see not only through our message this morning, but all throughout the scripture, that the gospel message really does teach us to come as we are. Before we go any further, let's pray, and then we will begin to dive into our passage this morning in Romans chapter 4. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together thus far. We ask that, that the remainder of our time, Lord, not only in our fellowship with you, but with one another, that we would honor you in all that we do, that we would truly see that you call us as we are to you, that there's nothing that we can do on our own to be right with you, to cleanse ourselves. that this all comes from you. So Lord, continue to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the truth that is within your word and your word only. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as last week we looked at and concluded Romans chapter 3 and really continuing this Q&A in a sense and, and Paul really addressing all these different questions and, and, and really trying to help uh, um, the Jewish people and those in Rome understand justification and righteousness and salvation and, and these really key terms. And hopefully we have a, a healthy understanding, a true grasp on, on those definitions and what grace is what salvation is and is not, righteousness and justification being very key uh, words and doctrine for us to understand as we continue to progress through um, Paul's teachings here. Now, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to, uh, this is almost kind of a, uh, uh, an intro or an overview of the rest of Romans chapter 4 because Paul is going to be giving us some examples, some Old Testament examples um, essentially to continue the, the, the answering the questions and or apologize, the defending of the faith to the, the Jewish people in Rome. But it's for everyone to hear, everyone to, to see, everyone to listen to. And you'll see very quickly that this is probably going to answer some of the questions that you may have had during our time together thus far or even outside of our time together. But Paul makes it very clear as we approach our passage this morning as to what is truly at the heart of the gospel. Now, we looked at some key terms and definitions and some, some uh, doctrinal um, statements and some, some theological terms last week, and uh, this is a um, good segue into what we are going to be looking at um, over these next uh, two to three weeks here in Romans chapter 4. Before I go any further, let's read our text, our passage at hand this morning. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You can follow along if you can. If not, I'm going to read it for you. Romans chapter, one, um, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. 
What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Amen. So we dive right, we're going to dive right into verse 1. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to give us a little bit of explanation and background before we really begin to break it down. But it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And before we answer that, we're going to get a little bit more uh, context and background here. And as Paul transitions uh, into verse 1, um, before he answers, begins to answer this in verse 2. Um, so as he takes up this, this a, another question, essentially, um, we have all, I think we have all asked this at some point. Um, I'm not sure if you have, but let me clarify what the question is. If salvation comes in and through Jesus Christ, faith in Christ, and works have nothing to do with it, circumcision has nothing to do with it, and don't worry, we're not done with circumcision, there's a whole other section that Paul's going to deal with um, about circumcision coming next week. But the point of this transition here is that question. What about Abraham? One of our founding fathers, one of the forefathers of the Christian faith, right? What about him? Was he not saved? This is a question that I think a lot of us have. What about those in the Old Testament? Jesus had yet had not yet come yet um, at that point. So where does their salvation come from? I know in the past I've preached on this, um, and some of you may have uh, somewhat of an answer or a recollection uh, as to uh, salvation for those in the Old Testament, but Paul is going to make it very clear here because this is a big wall, a thick wall that the Jewish people really need to, to get over to get through if they are to understand the true gospel. So basically, does the, con does the gospel contradict the Old Testament? Does the gospel contradict the Old Testament teachings? We may have already come to some understanding of this, but here we're going to see Paul make it very clear and give us two examples. Yes, one being Abraham. Um, one of the things that we are going to see through this is, is hopefully not only the context in which Abraham uh, was saved and did have a saving faith, but understanding how the gospel is, is really in harmony with the Old Testament. Um, for justification has always been by faith and faith alone, and Paul proves his point by giving us these examples by two great men, the other one being 
David. Now we know that God made covenants with both men, both David and Abraham. Um, but one of the things that we need to really see that have a distinction uh, as to which why Paul gives us Abraham and David, not only are they, you know, two of the greatest uh, forefathers of Israel, right? But Abraham, right, was justified and his faith came centuries prior to the law and circumcision. David, on the other hand, law and circumcision was already a part of for many years, right, of the faith, and we see his salvation, his justification, his faith with the law and circumcision. Now, our time together this morning is going to be part of mainly Abraham because as we move on through chapter 4, that's going to be the example that Paul's going to give us is of Abraham, okay? We will see David in 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 a quote here from the Psalms about David and his faith, and so we will address that and look into that a little bit, but moving forward, it will be mainly on Abraham. One of the interesting things is as I, um, I notice when I write my, uh, my notes and, and my sermons and different things, um, every time I come across to write Abraham, I always write Abram because my son's name is Abram. And uh, I have to continue to correct myself whenever I write Abraham. I always want to write it Abram. As he always would say, it's Abram with no ham. It's just Abram. Um, and so, anyways, just a side note. Now, we, we know that God made covenants with them and that we're going to s- not look into those covenants. I'm not going to dive into that. We're really looking at keeping in context with Paul's teachings. And what is that? The gospel, salvation, faith, not by works, right? Keeping in step with, keeping in within the theme, within the context of Paul's argument, Paul's teaching, Paul defending of the faith, ultimately trying to help these stubborn Jewish people essentially in Rome to hopefully at some point come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. As we know, some will continue to reject and and turn away from as we looked in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. But the first one that Paul gives us an example of, as we have already seen in verse 1, is Abraham, right? And we see very right in the beginning that the Jews called him their forefather. This isn't something that Paul made up. This is something that was very well known, that was consistent with Israel, the Jewish people. Abraham is Paul's first example and the example of justification before the law and circumcision. But did Abraham receive this by the flesh or according to? right, to his flesh, okay? And this is the question. Was Abraham saved by his works, right? Was saved by what he did in and through the law, right? Um, So we have to remember that he had no law. He had no circumcision. He did at some point, but his, we will see how his righteousness and justification came prior to that. So how was he justified? How did he have a saving faith? So essentially, verse 1 sets up the the question, the context of the question, as we go into verse 2, because verse 1 says, so was 
what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, not before God. So he kind of answers that question right away, okay? Why is that? Because um, we see that he was not justified by works. Now, if we see what or we've been part of the teachings thus far as through our journey through Romans, we can understand and we can see how Paul is continuing to make his claims, right? His arguments, the answers to these questions, because we've seen over and over, and over, okay, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by works. Okay, Paul, we got it. We got it. It might be easy for us to comprehend, but for the Jewish people, it's very, very difficult. And they would always have these different questions. Well, what about this? Or what if that? And what if this? And they, they had such a hard time not only comprehending, but believing and or accepting the true teachings, the true gospel. Now, I'm sure a lot of us, or maybe just some of us, we can really uh, think if we've had any type of biblical um, scripture conversations with uh, someone who's not saved, um, you may have come across someone who is very skeptical, um, is a doubter, who doesn't believe anything that you say, um, always trying to to trip you up or to find a contradiction in Scripture. Um, and this is how Paul continues to address this. And I know it seems redundant, but I hope and my prayer is, is that we continue to see and continue to put the pieces together as to uh, what the gospel is and salvation is and able to answer questions for those who we may come across that do doubt the Scriptures and the gospel message. Okay. Um, getting back to our text in verse 2, uh, basically, if, if Abraham was then um, not saved by works, then how was he saved, right? Um, but because if he was saved by works, he would have a reason for what? Boasting. Boasting what? Before God. He really could point to himself, for he earned righteousness and has... Uh, has a reason to stand before God and boast about himself and not what Christ did on the cross. This is why we should run away any time we come across any, any pastors or any Christians who try to point to anything other than Jesus Christ, right? Um, there are so many pastors out there that point to themselves and what they can do, um, whether it's, it's uh, faith healings, um, word of faith, movements, um, different signs and miracles, and it's all through themselves. Look what I can do. Come at this time and witness what I do, what I do. And a lot of times it's not come and see what Christ does as opposed to see what God does through me and come, and it's almost a spectacle and a display and almost a form of entertainment essentially to reach into your pocketbooks most of the time. One of the things that we need to understand is that anytime we come across such things, we need to run away. We need to stay away from these things, especially those that are call themselves Christians and point to something other than Jesus Christ, whether it's works, achievements, um, something that you have to do above and beyond, right? 
And we're going to see as we work through this, right, on what that really looks like as far as it's the complete opposite of that. Because this is not of God and ultimately it is impossible for us to achieve or receive any righteousness or justification based on those merits alone. Let's jump into Ephesians chapter 2. And this is going to continue to help us segue or transition into some of the answers and what Paul is really trying to help us understand um, here in Romans chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. A lot of us know this. I've used this a few times. Um, It should be fairly fresh in your memory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay? The gift of God. Not a result of works, so that, what? No one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? And I think a lot of us has already heard this. We maybe even heard some teachings on this before. But basically coming to understanding that Abraham had no grounds for boasting. None whatsoever. So we can begin to see that Paul is showing us that, look, there's nothing that, that Abraham did to gain his righteousness, his justification, his faith. That all came by doing nothing, essentially. Okay? He didn't know. It wasn't about him obeying the laws. It wasn't about him doing this or that. Why? Because he didn't have those yet. So we can't, even, we can't even turn to the laws. We can't even turn to circumcision. We can't use that as an argument. It's not something that is there for us to try to grab upon to say, ah, because of, the, of how much Abraham did, right? And, and again, going back to this time, it was Abram, okay? Before he became Abraham. And we're going to go back in Genesis and we're going to look at some of that in a moment. But understanding that Abraham's faith did not come as a result of anything that he did, okay? And so this is something that we, began, we need to begin to see, right, not only in Romans 4, but also in what we just looked at in Ephesians 2. And now we're going to turn over to James chapter 2. We're going to see some here, and this is really going to hopefully pull some things out for us to understand, okay, because sometimes James chapter 2 is... is, is um, taken out of context, okay? But we're going to look directly at it because some of us may argue that James chapter 2 says otherwise, okay? James chapter 2, starting verse 21. Now, I encourage all of you to go and and check out James chapter 2. Read the whole thing. Look into it. We don't have time for that this morning, Um, But we're going to look at this section here. James chapter 2, starting verse 21, says this. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So we see very clearly, right, the direction of this. Now, a lot of people, we could stop there, or then we can continue on to verse 24. Now, I know up there we... It says 23, but I'm going to read 24. Okay, it says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And we can take verse 24 and say, Ah, see, they're saved by their works. But essentially, this passage here is answering the question, going back to verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him okay so we see that everything to follow is essentially james trying to is answering the question in verse 14 verse 14 is saying look there's people that say they have faith but they're not doing anything and james saying look that's not that's not how it works they say they have faith but then what we see is from that faith good works follow right and it's something that I've, we, I've mentioned and I've taught on several times before. But this is what Paul is getting to in Romans 4. It's helping us understand this. Okay? Why? Because we're going to see that in the life of Abraham. But we don't want to, 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 to misconstrue this or to fall into this trap of, wait a second, but Abraham's faith, salvation, it came by works. It didn't come by. It's like, no, no, it can't. His faith and righteousness came before that. We're going to see that in our next verses, our next passage that we're going to look at in Genesis 15. But one of the things we need to understand is this. Here in James is, is helping us to understand that there are those who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but their lives don't reflect it. They don't. But Pastor Raph, we're not saved by works. You're absolutely right. But what do our works do? Our works reveal our salvation. They confirm our salvation. They don't save us. As I would say, our works are a byproduct, right, of the saving faith that we have within. So don't get it confused. Let's turn to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. So, as we see that with James and what's pointed out there, we're going to go back to Genesis 15 and see what Abram at this time, right, before he became Abraham, right? How God views him and the discussion that's going on there. We're only going to look at it a little bit. You can go in more and see the covenant and different things there. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 says this, and he brought him outside and said, okay, God, speaking of Abram, saying he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to rem 
if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Right. So we have to remember anyone apart from God. Can they please the Lord? Can they do anything righteous before God? No, they can't. So anything apart from God is not righteous, cannot please God, cannot honor God. doesn't matter how much you do, how good you are. And we're going to, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we will see more of that later. But we see here in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, Abram truly believed God. And then we see what? He put his trust in the Lord. Well, Pastor Raph, how do we know he put his, we put his trust in the Lord? Well, go and read about the journey of Abram and when he was called. He was already blessed. He already had so much. And God said, you know what? You need to uproot, take only what I tell you you're going to need, and then go, and you're going to go to this land that I, I'm going to give you, right? And you can read about his journey right? And then we see it's like 30 plus years later, and it's a bumpy road, right? And it's interesting because we can even go back and look at Abram's life and see what he had and these different things and how he honored God, but then God came to him and said, okay, I need you to go do this. And then he trusted in the Lord. But then we see how, how there's times where Abram didn't trust in the Lord, and then his wife didn't trust in the Lord and they made some mistakes and they did this and they did that. And a lot of these different things happen. And in a way, it's really can be a reflection of our own lives. When we come to a saving faith in God, it's like, oh, yeah, we want to trust God and I'm ready to climb mountains and I'm ready to sacrifice and I'm ready to do this and I'm ready to do that. And five years later, we're missing a lot of the marks of a true believer. It doesn't mean you've lost your faith. It just means we're going through stumbling, rocky paths, whatever it may be, a season of life to where we've really kind of begun to fade away a little bit in our faith. And we can see that in Abram's life. So we became Abraham and God's promises different things that God has brought to him. But we can see the bumps in the road. And one of the things that I, I, I really believe that we fail to do as Christians is to see how amazing the Bible is, how amazing the scriptures are. And just because it's the Old Testament doesn't mean we need to forget about it. We need to just sit in the New Testament. But we need to go and look and read and see. And it's like, man, look at the journeys. And truly understand and, and begin to embrace how relevant it is for us even today and how much we can relate to it. But as I said, it, 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 30 plus years, we then begin to see something else that is truly amazing and something that um, God marks as, as Abram's faith through what? his works essentially through his commitment, through his following through, 
has really um, cemented his faith, has really revealed his faith in a sense. Turn, turn with me, if you're, hopefully you're still in Genesis 15, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read all of Genesis 22. I'm actually going to give you some homework, okay? Give you a little bit of homework, okay? So Genesis 22, we're looking at the offering of Isaac, okay? Now, Isaac wasn't the only son of Abraham. So who was the first son for Abraham? That's one, do that as homework, figure that out. Some of you may know off the top of your head who he was and what transpired, right? Okay, the other part of your homework is go through all of 22, right? And this offering of Isaac, okay, and find Christ, find Christ. I think I taught on this a few years back, so most of you probably don't either don't remember or we're not here during that time, but look for Jesus, look for the gospel, look for the cross in Genesis 22. Okay, that's your homework. Now, back to our text, Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. So now he's Abraham, right, father of many, and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So one, God said and called upon Abraham and said, hey, Abraham. And he's like, yes, Lord, I'm here. Go and give a burnt offering to me, which is your son, Isaac. And then what did he do? Did he argue with God? Did he say, you know what, I, God, I really need to pray about that to see if that's something you really want me to do? Did he go and ask his friends, ask his wife? It says he rose early the next morning. Well, I guess he didn't say next morning. It says he rose early in the morning. I guess we can presume, presume, I don't want to, inject into the scripture my own opinion but i think it is clear he rose the next morning he did not hesitate he did not argue with god he rose the next morning and did it why is it so difficult for us as christians to to see very clearly in God's Word and how God speaks to us today through His Word, through the teachings, through the Holy Spirit, and confirmation through that, right? And God says, you know what? You need to go do this. It's like, okay, God, um, let me pray about that. Yes, don't get me wrong. There, We need to pray about everything. We need to have confirmation that what we're doing is God's will, right? But essentially is, hey, read your Bible every day. Mm, God, I need to pray about that. I'm not sure if that's something you really want me to do. That could be from the devil. 
Hey, pray every day. Hey, give to the church. Serve the church. Fellowship with believers. Hmm. Let me pray about that, God. I'm not sure if that's something you really want me to do. Really? Do we need to pray about it? Is that something we really need to argue with God about? Here's another homework assignment. Who is Jerubbabel? Jerubbabel. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but I'm sure you could find out who he is, right? One of the great doubters, in my opinion, of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, okay? One of the great doubters. God, are you sure you want me to do this? I'm kind of giving it away now. God, are you sure? Don't be like that. Have this understanding that we have placed our faith in God through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And when God calls upon us and God shows us through his word, hey, read my word, spend time with me, devote time to me, sacrifice for me, sacrifice for other believers, live your life accordingly, do this, do this. And God shows us the roadmap on how we are to live our lives as faithful believers and servants to him. Why is it so difficult for us to do so? I don't mean to to get off topic, and hopefully I'm not, because this is essentially what God is calling upon Abraham to do. Be faithful. Be faithful. Says God is testing him. Sure, God sees the heart. God knows. God understands. And see, but here's the thing. Are you going to live it out? It's not, well, God, you know my heart. I just really don't want to do it. Well, God, I'm sorry, but you know my heart, God. (laughs) We don't see in Scripture that go and make disciples in your heart. Live for me in your heart. Don't be ashamed in your heart. We don't see that. We see, as we saw and looked at in James and in Ephesians, that look, our faith, yes, and we're, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself, I know that's fine though, our faith, we don't work for it, it's nothing we do for it, it's a free gift, it's given to us. But, see, it's witnessed through our commitment our love, our works, our obedience to God. This is why when we come to verse 3 in Romans 4, this is, and, I, and I absolutely love this verse. Why? Some of you should already know why. Verse 3, it says, For what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? I'm sure you've heard me say this at least half dozen times, if not even more. What does the Scriptures say? We need to understand that Paul, his heart for God, his desire and his obedience and his commitment to the Word of God was abundant, was so clear. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. We saw this in Genesis 15. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. If you don't remember the definition of righteousness or being righteous and then actually also justified or justification, go back and look at your notes, hopefully from last week. If you weren't here last week, you didn't listen to the message last week, go back and listen to the message from last week. Abraham believed God and he was counted as righteousness to him. He was justified by his faith. One of the things that we need to continue to understand is what do the scriptures say? And go back to the scriptures. Go back to the scriptures. This is one of the most valued disciplines that you can have as a Christian. Going to God's word. Making sure that you have a true biblical worldview with an identity in Christ should be of the utmost importance to each and every true believer. What do the Scriptures say? And as we go to the Scripture, we see what the Scripture says and the Scriptures tell us. We can see how Abraham believed God and he was righteous. I guess I should say Abram, how Abram believed God, had faith in the Lord, left his hometown, left his homeland, and went and followed the Lord. This is why I have one of the it's one of the biggest pet peeves when I talk with other pastors or those that are, that are in Bible school and then getting ready to graduate and then go and, and begin to look for areas to serve. And, um, and I always ask, I say, oh, okay, how are, you, um, how are you campaigning, right? And, and we, a lot of times we call it campaigning. Um, we, we campaign for um, where the Lord is going to lead us or serve um, at various churches and um, man, it's it's crazy because more and more, even now, I see people really subjecting themselves to like, well, God really, you know, um, I'm only applying for church positions in this town, or I'm only applying for positions within an hour of my hometown. I, I need to be close to my to my family, and I need to I need this, and I need that, or you know what, God really wants me to serve Him out in Hawaii, you know, or or this place or that place, and and we have this. You know, and, and don't get me wrong, God needs pastors in Hawaii. You know, I, I almost answered that call myself when I was in Maui one time. And it's like, wow, you know, it'd be great to just serve God here all the time, right? And I just go live by the beach. And, you know, then I was like, okay, is that, is God really calling me here or is it the sound of the waves, right? And so, but one of the things that I see more and more, not only in, in pastors or those serving the church, but in church is this, is that we limit what we are going to allow God to do with our lives. This is one of the reasons why I actually ended up in Pennsylvania is because as I put out my, my, my resume to all these different churches, I wasn't going to limit God to where God was going to call me to serve. So I literally put out hundreds and hundreds of resumes all over the country. And I interviewed at places from Florida to Chicago to California to Colorado, like all over the country. Um, yes, it was very interesting when, when some of the uh, southern states would say, what would a California pastor want to do in Texas or Georgia? 
you know, and I was kind of labeled as a California pastor, you know, and I found that very interesting. Um, But one of the questions that I always had to answer was this, why would you want to leave your hometown? And I was like, why not? I said, am I truly putting my trust in the Lord if I would say, Lord, I would serve you anywhere if I'm not going to live that out? Why would I tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to serve you wherever you want to take me, but I'm only going to look for jobs within a 50-mile square radius of where I want to be? It doesn't make sense. Don't get me wrong, people are called to a certain people group, people are called to certain regions, people are called to a certain demographic. Absolutely believe in that and understand that. And I and I I believe God uses that for his kingdom. But when we begin to limit God and to say, God, you can only use me this way and in this area and under my terms, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Are you truly relying on the Lord? Do we truly have a faith and a trust in Him as Abraham did? Like I said, go and study the life of Abraham. Go and study the journey that he was on from the time he was called to the time he passed away and how God used him and how he was faithful and the times when he was not. There's so much we can learn. Turn me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. It's right after 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 6. Galatians 3 verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham had nothing to boast about. There was nothing about him that said he was saved by his works. It had nothing, anything to do with his accomplishments, had everything to do with his faith and trust in God. Thing is, is can we say the same about ourselves? Do we have this faith, this trust, this understanding, the salvation of the Scriptures? Let's move on to verses 4 and 5. Hopefully this gives us some clarity. I'm going to give us an example or explain the example that Paul gives us. I'm not giving it. Paul's giving it. Verse 4 and verse 5, we're going to keep those two together. Now to the one who works his wages are are not counted as a gift but as his due. So we're going to get this example in verses 4 and 5 to explain, hopefully even further, right, so that those of, uh, in Rome, the Jewish people in Rome, can understand more clearly. Verse 5, 
and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Now, after the first example that Paul gives us, he, he gives us his practical illustration of his argument and the basis of which the gospel is built upon. Um, this essentially brings us a very real, hopefully a very real clarity to the contrast between works and faith when it comes to salvation. Um, basically, Paul is trying to show us um, that it is like working a job. Okay? So bear with me. It's like having a job that you work at, okay? And so whether you get paid every week, every two weeks, every month, regardless, when it comes to get paid, essentially you are being reimbursed for the labor and skill set in which you bring to the, what, your employer, okay? So do you go and work for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it may be and you, you grind it out and it, whether it's labor intensive or... Um, emotionally taxing or mentally taxing, whatever it may be. And at the end of those two weeks and it comes payday, do you take your check and give it back to your employer and says, no, 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 I, I don't deserve this, right? I don't want this, right? Do we do that? Do we work for free? Do we work at our, our job for free? And some of us might be thinking, no. I don't even like working there as it is. I get a paycheck. That's the only thing that really keeps me there is that I get a paycheck, right? Okay? I don't know if you... I've had some jobs where it's like, man, I, I don't like the people I work with. I just don't. It's not something I enjoy doing. To be honest, if I could just do my job with nobody around me, it would be a great day. Okay? Or it's the other way around. I... I really don't like my job. I love the people around me, but this job is no good, okay? I don't know what, if you've been in those situations before or whatever it may be, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that's me. Don't think that, okay, I love my job, but the people around me are no good, okay? Don't take it that way. I love you guys, at least most of the time, all right? But we would not get that paycheck, and say, no, 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 I love this job so much, I don't need to get paid. I'm going to do it for free, okay? I'm going to do it for free. That's not, that's not what we do. When we work for something, there's an expectation of receiving, right, payment for our labor, right, payment for our skill set, our experience, whatever it may be, whatever we bring to the table, we receive reimbursement for that. Okay? That's works. But salvation is this. You get it for free. You do nothing. And you receive it. And it's not a payment. A payment is in exchange for something. Did we exchange anything for salvation? No. There's no exchange. The great exchange is the cross. What Jesus did on the cross, that's the great exchange. That's the payment. Remember, we looked at that, that propitiation, okay? The justification, righteousness, then all leading into what? Grace, right? 
That's like someone walking up to you and is like, you know what? You're such an amazing person. Here's a big check. Some of us might be, hey, you know what? I am an amazing person. Thank you. No, but most of us would be like, you know, I don't deserve that. Why are you giving me this money? Do you remember what grace is? Undeserved favor? See, we began to understand the difference between work salvation, which is no salvation at all, okay, and true salvation and faith through Jesus Christ. Receiving that grace, that mercy, all in which that what we talked about last week, all in which Paul taught us and went through, right, the previous passage before getting to this point here in Romans chapter 4. Basically, Paul is trying to show us that it is like working a job, come payday, we're given what is owed us, versus the worker, right? The, you're not going to refuse the money. You're not going to give your check back, okay? The thing is, is we, we get our check, we go put it in the bank. Some of us, our paychecks never really reach the bank, you know? And we spend it, we, we, we pay our bills, and a lot of times our checks are, are spent before we get them, um, but the thing is, is that your justification does not work this way. And this may be new to you, but to be justified is basically the person who is justified is the person who never works for it. The person who is justified is the one who renounces any possibility or any way of earning their salvation. This person, this justified, this righteous person is the one who rejects any personal merit behind their salvation of any kind. You see, this is one of the things we can begin to look for in our own testimony, right? Or when we listen to testimonies of other people. Well, you know what? I got saved when I did this, and I did that, and I did this, or this pastor did this, and this pastor did that, or this person did that. It's like, you know what? Your salvation is not dependent on any of that. It's not about you. It's not about this person. It's not about that person. It's about God and what Christ did for you, and that's it. It's that simple. It's not earned. You don't go and do these things. It's like, okay, because I did these things, God owes me this. That's not, that's not grace. That's not salvation. That's not the teachings of the Scripture, of the Gospel. Because I did this, God owes me this. And a lot of times we feel that way even beyond, right, our faith of salvation. Okay, God, I'm going to read the Bible every day this week, so make sure I get this. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I, I do this, and when I do this, and I'm going to expect this, I'm going to expect that. You see, the justifi justified person acknowledges that all of his, of, of that person's best efforts, best work, labor, sacrifice, whatever it may be, could never fulfill God's righteous demands. Never. There's nothing that you can do to ever pay the price for your own sins, to cover your sins. 
Instead, we are to believe in Him who what? Who justifies the ungodly. Just like Abraham. When God came, He said, Abraham, Abram, you need to do these things. And He believed and was justified. There is no plea, there is no argument that we can make, there is no reasoning that we can have, there's nothing that we can try on our own to do our best, to live our best life, to live a good life, to sacrifice for others. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are called to God as an ungodly, dirty sinner that throws himself or herself on the mercy and grace of God. Come as you are. So many times again, we're like, I need to get cleaned up. I need to do this. I need to do that. And who is that one person that we can hopefully at some point remember off the top of our heads when it comes to Jesus, right? Washing the disciples' feet. And who's that one that said, you know what? No, I'm not worthy. I'm dirty. Essentially, I, I, need, I need to get clean, Jesus, before I can allow you to clean me. Who is that disciple? Maybe that's another piece of homework you can have. Some of you, I'm sure, already know the answer to that. But essentially, we have this mentality. And it's like, look, and Jesus said, hey, that's not what it's about. If you don't allow me to do this, then you are not of me. And that's what Jesus says to each and every one of us. That's what God's trying to tell each and every one of us is this. Come as you are. Doesn't matter how sinful you are. Doesn't matter how dirty you are. Doesn't matter how far from God you are. It's come as you are. Place your faith, your trust, your hope in me and follow me. Yeah, it's going to be bumpy along the way. Yeah, you're not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to know everything. You're not always going to make the best decisions. But trust in me, put your hope in me, put your faith in me, and let's begin. Our faith accounted righteousness to us, right? Through who? Through the risen Savior, come as you are. Turn me to Luke chapter 5. It's not too far left in your Bibles. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. Says this, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that doesn't mean that believers, right, don't need to repent. Yes, we need to repent. But here's the understanding. We, Jesus came to save the lost. And he went to them as they were. 
He didn't go to them and say, you know what? Uh, he had one of his, his public relations disciples go out before him and prepare, you know, um, the tax collectors or the drunkards or the prostitutes or whatever it may be. It's like, okay, look, Jesus is going to come have dinner with you. Now, when he comes in his presence, you need to make sure that you don't drink, you don't cuss, you don't do these things because these are unbefitting um, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? So don't do them when he comes to have a meal with you, and you need to make sure you call him Lord, and you call him Jesus, and you address him properly. He didn't have someone to go before him and say, look, you need to make sure you play church, you play Christian, you play good in order to have a meal with Jesus. He didn't do that. And he was ridiculed for it. By who? The Pharisees. Now, I've said this before. Who were the Pharisees? Those were the church people of the time. Those were the so-called righteous Jewish people of the time. Who was a Pharisee? Paul was. Who knows better than Paul? According to him and his resume, no one. He said, I kept every letter of the law. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. One of the things we need to make sure we understand and we need to make sure that we communicate as believers to non-believers is that very simple fact. Come as you are. They reject the Scriptures. They reject the Scriptures. They reject God. They reject God. It's not on you. Justification is for the ungodly. Not, not for good people, so to speak. It is a matter of grace. It's not a matter of debt. It's not a matter of filthiness. It's not a matter of sin. It's not a matter of, of a record, right, that they have against them. It's basically this grace, this mercy, this justification is received by faith and not by works. Paul makes it abundantly clear. We're going to turn to Psalms 32. It's going to be uh, quoted in our next few verses here, but we're going to turn there now and then use that to segue into um, these next last few verses here in Romans 4. But turn me to Psalms 32. A wonderful psalm in, in all together. Um, we're going we're gonna to just look at verses 1 and 2 and then reference um, the whole psalm. I encourage you to, uh, to check it out. I mean, you could even go back a psalm. Psalm 31 is amazing as well. Um, psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so, one, it's blessed is the one who's come, and their sins, their transgressions, their shortcomings, their missing the mark has been forgiven, Right? It's been forgiven. It's, it's a blessed thing. It's an amazing thing, right? That 
whose sin has been covered, right? Then he goes on to, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. He exposes the heart. God's Word and the Holy Spirit are meant to expose your heart. There are times that it's... uh, I hear people say, or Christians, quote-unquote, even say, you know what, there's things in the Scriptures we shouldn't teach because... They're, they're, they're mean. They hurt people's feelings. And I go, they don't hurt people's feelings. They're not mean. What are you talking about? That's called conviction. That's called transformation. That's called accountability. That's called righteousness and truth. It's meant to pierce the hearts. It's meant to strike your very soul, your very spirit, and to show you What? Your iniquities. Your shortcomings. Why? Because we think for some reason in our worldly mindset that if someone tells us we're wrong, they're mean. If someone exposes that we're doing something not acceptable, they're mean. It's not okay. But see, the Scriptures say, no, we are meant to expose this. We are meant to expose the heart. We are meant to to show what? To cast light onto the darkness in each and every one of us and to those that are lost, exposing the sin within them. Ultimately, what? Drawing them into justification, righteousness, and grace through faith and faith alone. Now, we're going to go back to Romans 4 and we're going to see in which this Psalm 32, right, is being applied towards. Chapter 4, verse 6. Just as David, so we see very right there, right off, we finally have gotten to David. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we see very quickly our next example by Paul is given to us is King David. The words just as, we see right there in verse 6, just as, right, implies this. It's the same as Abraham. Even though we're coming to David and David has the law and circumcision, it, it, none of that matters. His justification, his faith is the same as Abraham's. This is a, a, a great man of Israel, but we have to remember this. Even though um, he was one of the, the forefathers and looked upon greatly, right? As, as we see in Scripture, he, he's a man after God's own heart. King David, right? Even from, a, from early on as a young man, just the amazing stories of his faithfulness and his commitment and drive to honor and please the Lord. He was a sinner. He was a sinner. But God sees him as righteousness. Ultimately of what? 
apart from his works. Anointed at a young age, Paul shows us here through Psalms 32, in which he quotes the first couple of verses that I read just a minute ago um, about Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, about David and his faith and his heart. But what did Paul see as he's teaching us in these couple of verses from Psalms 32? Paul notices nothing about works. We can see that very clearly, and we can also see that forgiveness is a matter of God's grace and not of man's efforts. Undeserved favor is never earned. Receiving God's grace is never earned. We can also see that the sinner that does not have sin accounted against him must have a righteous standing before God. God ultimately justifies the ungodly. God ultimately justifies the ungodly. Now, you're probably still there on Romans chapter 4, but we should remember this from Romans chapter 3. Verses 9 through 18. This is something that we should have remembered. This is something that should be fresh, right, in our minds. Okay? Those that have been on this journey with us, that have been listening and hearing the teachings, right? But we should know this already. And Paul is making it abundantly clear through the example of David and Abraham. David had been guilty of adultery, murder, was lying and many other things, but in, the, in these verses, he is essentially giving us a glimpse of the taste of freedom from sin in which he received. Um, why? Because he's no longer guilty. He is no longer guilty. And the only way that he can no longer be deemed guilty is through the redemption of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we must have a healthy understanding of, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, is those in the Old Testament, their faith was in the future coming and work of Jesus Christ. God's promises. Their faith was in this, and it was counted as righteous to them. This was their saving faith. Those that walked with Jesus for that short period of time their faith was in the what? Not only birth, but the teaching, right, of the Messiah. God incarnate, right? And in through Jesus Christ. Now those, the New Testament church, we look back to the cross, ultimately looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is in which we put our faith, our hope, and trust. We need to have a healthy understanding of the gospel and the scriptures. Come as you are. Come as you are. We can look in and through scripture and see those that God has used in such a mighty way. We can see those that God has chosen that were not that were not perfect, that were not the best decision to make. 
they're far more more prestigious, more well-groomed, more um, well you know, positioned people that God could use and so on and so forth. But the thing is, God chose who he chose. It's the same thing for each and every one of us. We are just to come as we are, to be faithful and obedient, ultimately putting our, all of our trust in him. So what about you? Have you been justified? Are you no longer guilty before God? How do we see ourselves? Do we think for some reason we need to go and have a spiritual cleansing before we can come before God, before we can go to church, read His Word, enter in time of prayer? God says different. He tells us that we are to come as we are and to let Him do the work and that our work is ultimately a result of our faithfulness and our commitment to Him our trust in Him, that our good works and good deeds are a byproduct of a true salvation in Him. Because it says here in, in Psalms 32 that He tests our spirit. He knows our heart. And He knows our intentions and our motives. Turn me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to close with this. Go to go right in your Bibles, First John. First John chapter one. We're going to uh, start in verse five. This is the message. Are we all there? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, okay? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleans us from all sin. We cannot come and say we are, we, we put our faith and our trust in God and in God alone. And it's not by any works that I do. It's nothing that I do. But is it mere words? Do our lives reflect it? Do we walk in the light? Do we live by the light? Do we live out God's words? Do we live out his commands? Are we obedient to him? Not because we have to, to be saved. It's because we want to, because we are saved. Our sins can only be cleansed in and through the Son, Jesus Christ. Do we walk in the light? Basically, we can take the first part of our time together this morning, come as you are, and then take the last part and say, and walk in the light. And really begin to understand the true gospel message. 
don't worry, Paul's going to continue on, like I said, and really look at all this from perspective of circumcision, and we'll look into that next week. And um, Romans 4 is really all on this understanding of how the New Testament gospel and the Old Testament teachings do not contradict each other and really trying to help the Jewish people, Israel, those that are in Rome, understand faith, righteousness, justification, God's grace does not come through the law and works. Come as you are and walk in the light. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time together this morning. Ultimately, thank you for your word. May we see, embrace, and live out not only your word, but the convictions that you place upon us. Lord, we ask that you would continue to lead and guide us, Lord God, that ultimately we would walk in the light and be faithful in all that we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.